no one day is ever the same, right? And, and that's what I love about this job. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Security Superpowers. My name is Steve Ramey, and I'll be your host through this theater of cyber masterpieces. Joining me today is Matt Ramey. He is a head of the cyber emergency response team for a Fortune Global 500 company. Previously, he was a special agent in the cyber division of the FBI. Matt, thanks for joining today. We're excited to have you here. How are you today? Thanks, Steve. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. Awesome. So you were uh, before your current role, you were with the uh, the FBI and their their cyber team, right? Yes, yeah, Steve. I did uh, just over ten years with the FBI investigating various uh, cyber crimes. Uh, I did a few years uh, as an SSA, a supervisory special agent, um, as well up in uh, DC, and did some time uh, over in New Orleans, Louisiana, as well. Oh, that's awesome. So you did a little bit of traveling. That's great. Uh, so uh, thank you for your, your service. Uh, you know, one of the questions I'm often asked in this space is is the transition from the the public service to the private sector. Is there any advice you could you could share with with our, our listeners about that um, transition? Yeah, I would say find something that uh, aligns as closely as possible as you can. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, of course, the the core of the FBI, uh, the core of the the cyber division is, is doing those. Uh, cyber investigations. So when I was deciding to leave government service, I wanted to find something as close to the current uh, role as I could. And naturally, doing uh, you know working digital security incidents um, at a large uh, Fortune Global 500 company was as close as I could get. So that would be my advice: is to find something as close as you can to your you know between the public and the private service. Excellent. That's great. I'm going to steal that from you for. Future uh, future presentations and, and uh, interactions there, so I don't ever know how to to describe that other than um you know a lot of the, the larger companies actually have programs for for veterans for you know mil- former military and you know, government type employees, um so it's something that's uh highly sought after so I'm glad the transition has went well for you so far. Yep, it's been uh, great. Perfect. So um you know understanding your your current role is is the uh the head of a cert team. Uh can you kind of give us a, a overview of, of how you approach protection from, you know, just general cyber threats? Like what's in that that arsenal? What's in that that kind of a uh, methodology that you use to uh to detect both proactively as well as, you know, from a technological means? So we're fortunate to have a highly capable and highly technical uh, security operations center. Uh, We're also fortunate um, to have sophisticated uh, tool sets uh, and alerting, uh, which feed into our uh, our SIM. So I I think, so fortunately for us, we have a highly capable and highly technical security operations center. It's only a fraction of the incidents that we see actually make it up to the cyber emergency response team. With that said, you have to have a sophisticated tool set, know how to use that tool set and have your, your SIM you know, fine-tuned uh, for the alerting uh, to try and, as we say it, catch the bad guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm often asked by my clients, um, we do a lot of ransomware investigations and my clients are always caught in a very, very peculiar situation. So they're always asking, you know, can't we just go find these guys and arrest them? Uh, technically, we can, but it's way out of our jurisdiction and the scope of work for our contract. But what are you going to do, right? Is that is that something that that you you focus on now in your current role, or is that more aligned with what your your previous life as the FBI agent? Right. You know, we we do obviously uh, have liaison with law enforcement, um, such as the FBI. But unfortunately, when I stepped out of that role with the with the FBI, I had to leave those those handcuffs behind. So while we will, you know, feed 
uh, information to law enforcement, um, whether it's intelligence purposes or for a, a possible uh, criminal type of uh, uh, matter. Um, we do leave that to law enforcement to track down the the actors behind ransomware or even the nation state type activities. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately the same answer I have to to give, except I never had handcuffs to begin with. So we talk a little bit about threat intelligence. Uh, I know it's a it's a very hot topic nowadays. The the job um, requirements. You, you look on any type of cybersecurity you know company that's hiring, and there's always going to be some type of component of threat intelligence. You know, what's your experience with with threat intelligence, and how does that apply into your day to day? Yeah, once again, we're we're fortunate um, as an organization. Uh, we actually just officially stood up uh, a dedicated uh, cyber threat uh, intelligence team, which is um, you know not officially part of the CERT, but is part of the same uh, organization. So we're also fortunate to have uh, several paid for um, you know private uh, intelligence providers. That are you know monitoring you know indicators uh, monitoring for indications of organization out on the dark web. Yeah, that that dark web is just uh, continually getting illuminated. Uh, so so before you mentioned you know you you do work with law enforcement. You have the liaison kind of program there where you're sharing information. Could you kind of talk generally about what that looks like? Uh, from from my experience, you know we we work with a lot of very small companies to some pretty large companies you know, well over, you know, a billion dollars. And the common theme with a lot of them is their security programs aren't that mature. Uh, understanding, you know, your organization, your current role, your background. Uh, it, from my perspective, information sharing is absolutely critical. And, and we as a cybersecurity community don't do a great enough job of sharing that information. But there is a lot of organizations that have taken the position that they will share in a certain environment. So, can you kind of talk through what that, that sharing program looks like? How granular do you get with the information you share? Who is it shared with? How often? Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Right. Yeah. So we, we constantly share um, you know, technical indicators as well as other types of, of TTPs of the known uh, actor groups that are targeting our, our organization. With that said, um, we want to be strategic in the types of indicators um, that we're sharing. What I mean by that is we want them to be, you know, high confidence uh, type of indicators. You know, I think there is, uh, with this industry, you can suffer from indicator fatigue. Uh, Too many indicators are are coming in to try and have to tag and assess the the, the threat and the confidence rating. So when we absolutely, we do share uh, externally, it's going to be in the trusted circles of key partnerships that we've formed. Excellent. It, it, would you say that's a, is, is that a company culture? Is that a security program culture? How, if, if, if you know, for the audience members that are listening to this, um, who don't actively participate in an information sharing program, um, how would you describe to them to, to take that position within the organization to go out, find a, you know, find a peer group to share through. Right. So, you know, no matter what sort of vertical or sector that you you're in, there's usually uh, an ISAC that aligns with with your sector, um, which is typically a, a you know a paid for nonprofit type organization. You know, and through those uh, agreements and memorandums of understanding the MOU, you know that does give you some some top cover as well to start sharing uh, indicators. You know. And also say we we do uh, adhere to the the traffic light protocol, the the sharing caveats, the sensitivities, the confidentiality rating, right? So when we do share, we are conscious of how we share it, what method, 
uh, who is receiving it and what they're going to do with that information. Uh, and if needed, right, if we have, you know, third-hand intelligence as well that may not directly relate to us, we will ask for permission from the company which brought us that intelligence and put together a form of words per se, so we can pass that through the right mechanisms and protocols uh, just to make sure that we're doing it uh, the right way. Yeah, that's certainly some great advice. Uh, you know, we at Arite, we, we do work with uh, law enforcement and, and provide some indicators, um, both at their you know, request and informally through a uh, information sharing program. Uh, we, we, you know, share a lot of information, IP addresses and uh, URLs and such. Uh, even when we, we uncover, you know, uh, attacks at the point of entry, you know, we recently linked uh, the Soda Nakimi ransomware group to infecting victims, at least gaining access through watering hole attacks. And, uh, you know, we were able to contact law enforcement, um, get the FBI on a call, provide a presentation to them for them to take action, uh, to take, hopefully you know, identify this group and just bring them one step closer to identifying the group and, and taking them down. So, you know, I, I strongly encourage information sharing uh, with at least the law enforcement, just because the more information they have, the closer we can get to a more civilized cyber society. Absolutely. So, Matt, you know, what's um what's a day in the life of a, a CERT team member look like for you? Fortunately, no one day is ever the same. Right. And, and that's what I love about this job. Right. It's fast paced uh, and it's ever changing. Right. You know, sort of like my time at, at the FBI, I had to have uh, something as similar, right, without being the law enforcement anymore. So, you know, with with incidents, right, we can't predict when an incident is going to occur. We are, we don't have that that magic ball, unfortunately. So it keeps things both, you know, interesting uh, and exciting, right? You know, large incidents when they occur, they consume every bit of you, right? When it's over, right, which could be days, weeks even months, right? In some cases, you know, you can look back and reflect on, you know, how much you thought you knew, right? But you, you always learn something along the way through that incident response uh, process. So once again, it's it's just no one day is the same, which for me, that's what I have to have in my life. Yeah, that, that's a pretty neat thing about our, our profession is that uh, the, thre- uh, the TTPs of, of these threat groups are uh, very uh, cookie cutter, but the technologies they attack it uh, certainly adds a lot of spice. The times they attack, um, you know, what they're doing, even when we start to notice them change what they do and how they do it, that certainly brings a new flair to keep every, everyone on their uh, the toes again. So I definitely right. agree I mean, with that. Our, right. Our, our, our systems and our networks, I mean, they're so highly complex. There's so many sources of log data. You just have to know where to search and analyze to start, you know, tearing through logs and pulling in the right folks who, who have knowledge uh, of, you know, sort of that, that system of that was potentially compromised, right? So you really have to work of a team of teams, right? But it's just working through the complexities of this global network. Yeah, it really is. What's, uh, what are you seeing on the, on the front lines there, um, you know, from an everyday threat type of uh, perspective? I'd say the number one threat, and we're actually seeing yet another, another uptick, um, don't have a you know, a reason as to, as to why just yet, but it's, it's the, the third party compromises. What I mean by that is our, our key vendors, our key suppliers, right? You know, one of the things, as we talked about earlier, uh, we are, you know, notified through a few different channels. If one of our third parties are are compromised, it could be a threat intelligence vendor, um, you know, sends us notification. It could be the vendor themselves or the supplier themselves, you know, sends us a notification because contractually um, they have to. But some of these, you know, vendors and suppliers, 
have you know deep connectivity uh, into our network. So that could be just as risky as if we were compromised. So it's really the, the third party uh, angle that I think uh, we're going to see continue to increase as a big risk um, to large organizations. I couldn't agree more with that. That uh, focus, you know, the third party aspect is is huge. Uh, you know, when you think about the the solar winds breach that occurred uh, late last year, um, you know that that just sends uh, shivers down everyone's spine. Where if you can get into an organization and then masquerade yourself as that organization, the effect you have on on every you know downstream entity from there, and, uh, the magnitude of of that breach, you know, three hundred thousand affected. Uh, and then it pyramids up to only a very small subset that really had information that the uh, um, you know, that APT group really wanted to go after. But it's absolutely scary uh, when you get into those degrees of separation. You know who we're allowing into our our networks, uh, which actually kind of our is our home. You know who we allow to come in there to have access to see us in that most uh, intimate space, um, and the people we trust you know, can soon fail us if they're not taking adequate protections to, uh, to protect themselves from allowing anything into their networks, subsequently into our networks. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on the, the software supply chain. Uh, I, I know of no way that that can truly be, be controlled because you cannot, there's not the resources and the bandwidth to scrutinize what all of the software that you're putting into your networks. There's just no way on earth. Right. Yeah, really is. So when we think about the magnitude of the solar winds, where it was a, a true traditional supply chain attack, um, you know, um, solar winds got infected, and then subsequently FireEye was hacked. Um, several other large companies that that used the solar winds product was was uh, were also hacked because of that supply chain attack. Uh, but then you know, four months later, approximately three months later, there was the Microsoft Exchange Zero Day. You know, that's a single product that's been in use forever. And a majority of those versions, I think it was 2013, 2016, and 2019, were all affected. You know, kudos to Microsoft. Same with, with uh, you know, uh, FireEye, too, the way they handled the, the announcements and then these follow-on with their investigative findings, uh, especially the remediation aspect. FireEye released a lot of the indicators to find their own tools, should those be used in the network. Microsoft released several scripts, updated Windows Defender to detect and, de- and to patch automatically, you know, weeks after their announcement. I think both both companies handled it, you know, phenomenally well to say, hey, this happened. This is what we're doing. Um, you know, we're going to be front, front and present with uh, with you all as we move through this together. Um, you know, it just it, it brings a it raises a lot of concern that, you know, the more tools we bring into our environment, the more we we open ourselves to these types of attacks, especially zero days. You know, what can you what can you share with us about uh, your experience with zero days? Uh, you know, call across your cyber uh, experience. So, so fortunately for, for my organization, um, we have a, a very robust uh, patch management uh, process. Once these uh, these CVEs are are released by the vendor, you know, Microsoft in the case that that you were you were referencing. However, you know, sometimes you know, in a, once again, in a network as large as ours, you know, other routine patches can sometimes, you know, be, uh, be an issue. So you just always have to have a, a robust vulnerability management program, be scanning and deploying patches as you can to make sure that you're out and far as front of it as you possibly can be. Yeah, absolutely. Patching is, is critical. It, it surprised me, you know, we, we, we did a number of the uh, Microsoft investigations, a couple hundred, and if the event was announced on March 2nd, 
we were still getting events towards the end of March that companies hadn't patched. And we started seeing, you know, ransomware uh, being deployed. We started seeing crypto miner. We saw a lot of lateral movement from the exchange servers into the network, data exfiltration. Patch management is critical. Um, so, you know, regardless if you have a security program or not, any IT professional should be able to say, you know, we need to patch every every Tuesday. If there's a critical patch, we need to step in and, and uh, patch it immediately. Right. There's going to be a reason why, you know, this A, criticality uh, assigned to the patches, and then B, of course, you know, what, what news media and attention it gets. And so, you know, hopefully organizations sort of get the hint um, and those two, and those things are bubbling up. They can rapidly start deploying those patches across their estate. Yeah. I can't emphasize that any more than you already have. So I want to, I want to kind of pivot now, you know, um, I want to ask you a tough question here and something that's been plaguing the, the uh, cybersecurity industry for, for a while now. Resource constraints aside, you know, like talent shortage, limited budget, you know, what's the biggest challenge that you or your team faces from a cybersecurity perspective? I think it does come down to resources, um, quite, quite honestly. And once again, we're, we're fortunate. We have a highly technical uh, and robust uh, team. We're, we're global, right? So we have uh, 24 by 7 coverage uh, for the most part. But I would say the number of incidents is increasing. The complexity uh, is increasing, uh, which means incident fatigue um, can kick in from, from time to time. You know, there is a, a true uh, shortage of talent, and it's hard to, as you're recruiting, it's, it's tough to find the right candidates to move uh, through, through the pipeline. You know, we can automate where we can. Um, we can, you know, alert where we can, but you still need, you know, human eyes uh, on screen and hands on keyboard. And so really it does come, come down to having the right resources um, stacked on your team uh, and be built up so you can, you know, make sure you get back to that preparation phase of the incident response lifecycle. So when you're not actively working incidents, you're preparing for the next incident, whether that's training, tooling, updating playbooks, um, process documents, whatever it may be. So I really do think it comes down to, to resources as being uh, one of the largest constraints. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I just uh, wanted to throw that curveball out there to see if there was something else we could think of that really wouldn't be. Because, you know, with the, uh, with the advancement to quantum computing and the advancement into artificial intelligence, I wonder if there will ever be a time where either cyber threats go away because of quantum computing or our professional roles are reduced because of the accuracy of artificial intelligence. Any, any thoughts on that? I'll go back to what I say earlier. We are here because controls fail, right? We can put all the technology in place that we want, all of the automation in place that we want. Once again, all of the alerting, the machine learning, the AI, whatever you want to call it. Eventually, there will be human intervention at some point in the process by someone in a, in a business unit within the organization and controls will, will fail. You have to have once again, a robust digital security and cyber organization to be able to have a human respond to that incident. So really the human element is going to be the weakest link, no matter how we slice and dice it, whether it's a cyber attack or a controls failure, the, the human element is still going to be one of the, the weaker aspects. Because after all, we're the ones programming Microsoft Exchange. We're the ones you know, falling victim to phishing emails, would you say? 
Yeah, absolutely. Once again, it could be it could be bad code. It could be someone not following a uh, process. It could be someone clicking on that phishing email, someone trying to bypass a, a control, right? Someone who finds a way around a policy, right? There's always there's always a way around something. And once again, it's going to be that the human um, that probably has the human being um, is the reason that these controls will fail. I always always thought that uh, artificial intelligence would be our, our savior. So maybe uh, maybe a little too uh, too soon to to think that. Ah, maybe so. Uh, I got one more question for you. Actually, two more. But um, one of them is uh, I recently read an argue, article how companies' security awareness programs are starting to gamify the security awareness aspect of of their organizations. And so they're actively phishing their employees. They're actively uh, dropping USB sticks around the organization. Uh, they're trying to piggyback from a physical security perspective. They're trying to piggyback into organizations. And they're gamifying this so that they encourage their employees, if you see something, to say something. It means, you know, don't click the link in the phishing email, but forward it to our phishing awareness team. Or uh, if you see somebody piggybacking, you know, oh, you forgot something. Jakar, don't actually walk through the door yet. Go back and uh, try to get try to you know get them to not follow you through. Um, and the companies are doing this to um, an offering. You know, you hit so many points per month, you get a you know a gift card or you get a free lunch. Um, something that entice the employees to be aware and to continually execute you know good cyber behavior, good actually security behavior. Um, have you have you heard of this? Have you heard of the, the gamifying experience of of uh, end user awareness training? Actually, I don't. I don't think I have heard the gamifying aspect aspect of the end user awareness training. You know, our organization absolutely has um, a a mature. You know, uh, I'll call it cyber awareness. You know, program. We absolutely you know do phishing tests, as do do most uh, most any organizations. We absolutely do monitor uh, and you know comb through those phishing submissions to look for patterns and what stands out as as unique. We absolutely put out you know videos and require training as awareness material. We also absolutely you know have a you know have a cyber week right uh, at least you know once per year. So, but as far as gamifying, I don't think um, nothing I've heard of per, per se. Not a not a half bad idea, but we're not there yet. Yeah, I mean it's all relatively new. It's it's not widely adopted, but it really got me thinking about um, how do you promote good behavior? You know, it's like rearing children, right? You don't yell at them. You have to talk to them in a positive manner. You know, it's not don't do that. It's let's not do let's let's do this instead uh, to teach them good good behavior, good practices while mm -hmm. coaching them through that the prior actions were, were very negative, but always with that positive spin to create the the positive environment. Um, and I, I think the gaming game, gamifying aspect would, could really take off the, uh, um, the idea of putting the end user, rewarding the end user for, for good uh, practice, for good awareness, good assistance into the, uh, security hygiene would just be a, a phenomenal takeaway for, for all organizations versus employees living in fear because they click the link on the on the email. Right. And, and kind of, as you mentioned earlier, the, the, the old motto, if you see something, say something that absolutely applies to our organization. We'd rather you report something or overly report 
um, and not be not be correct and let us have a chance to investigate it than not have the, the stance to, to not report a, at all. Additionally, right, if there is, you know, uh, a situation where uh, an employee, you know, does does violate, you know, some policy or some rule or whatever it may be, don't get me wrong, there, there can there can be times for you know, some sort of disciplinary action, but we absolutely have a culture where if, if that employee needs coaching through whatever scenario that, that will be, that is, we have the people to help, you know, help them coach through that cybersecurity incident. So just once again, having that culture to be willing to, to speak up uh, freely and not have sort of a fear of, of getting in trouble. Oh, that's awesome. I'd love to become a cyber coach at some point in my life. Steve, you might just be able to. <laughs> Goodbye, baseball. Here comes cyber coach Steve. All right. Well, Matt, um, before we uh before we close out here, do you have any advice for our listeners? I would just say, you know, keep uh keep keep up the good fight. Um, continue those partnerships, absolutely critical, whether it's in law enforcement, whether it's in your industry segment, whether it's someone out totally outside of your industry, you have to have key key partnerships to always be you know, keep on your toes and, and trading ideas. You know, also I'd say, you know, be, be creative with your use cases uh, and alerting, you know, pay attention to your legacy infrastructure, um, especially around, you know, possibly uh, merger and acquisition um, type type systems. But, you know, some, sometimes I, I think we can overlook um, some of the, the cyber risk in, in certain areas. That's why you just have to work together and really collaborate amongst your peers in the community. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that advice there. Oh, Matt, I do, uh, I do appreciate the time. Thank you for, for joining us today. Um, hope that, uh, we can have you back on the show, uh, sometime in the near future. Love to Steve. I appreciate it. Have a, have a good day. Thank you. Take care now. Bye.